Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. Today is our first return to the video podcast, so I figured I'd dress up a bit. Um, Nick's dressed like a bum, of course, with a hoodie. Yeah, sorry, my bad. And, uh, Jack decided to step it up too, I, so he's not shoving his uh, face with food. Squatter. Jack's got really good Wi-Fi today. Great Wi-Fi, as every day. Yeah, always. Um, I've got look at these goggle tan lines. If you can see it, you can believe it. Oh boy, you live in the desert or something? Yeah. Um, what's the point of today's episode, Garrett? What are we what are we gonna talk about? Well, some huge news uh, in the triathlon community. You know, tons of stuff happened this weekend. Uh, I'm trying to think of something that would be like slightly less relevant to Oceanside, but I think that's the only thing that happened this weekend. Yeah. So Oceanside is the big thing. We had two RTS podiums, one of which was a winner. So we have gone back to back years with having someone win the Oceanside early season uh, world championships, which is awesome. Uh, Jack hit the podium in, in third in a very strong uh, men's field, which uh, actually got down talked quite a bit by some people saying that there was only 10 strong athletes there and the rest were just a bunch of uh, scrubs. Yeah. What Who said that? That was on another triathlon podcast where they do um, news of oh, the pros. About pros and triathlon? Yeah. Okay. Pro triathlon and news all combined. <laughs> yeah. That was um exactly yeah so not to like call them out specifically but yeah they did say that uh, I think we can obviously go into the the rhetoric surrounding that and how that affects the sport uh, and the perception of just pro athletes in general but for now Jack man how are you feeling you know that was an awesome race um, you beat yeah. Tamra's run split very impressive <laughs> that was the main goal really I mean. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I feel good. I mean, I feel a little bit shitty, really like tired, ready to try to feel better again, but, um, sore, all those things, but I'm really happy with the race. I think it was, I think it was as strong of a race as I had last year. It was just, you know, the way, as I sort of knew, like it takes a really perfect race to bring it together to win on a race like that. And, um, I didn't have a per like I I swam well for what I'm swimming right now, but I just it wasn't in the cards for me to hang at the front um, this time around. So once that happens, it becomes extremely difficult to uh, to get the win because you got to work super super hard on the bike and and you know that kind of stings uh, sting stings the legs and makes it a bit tougher to run well. But what was your deficit uh, out of the swim? Was it a minute or something? It was basically a minute to like the kind of main dudes like jason west and those guys so um that would have obviously been and then it took us it took a half the bike to catch that gap so um yeah, that ben was, was ben was driving it hard you could just i mean he was basically the only thing they were showing for about 35 minutes and he was fucking driving it yeah he worked really hard i was talking about for the race he worked really hard to try to kind of break things up and and get away and 
I guess he didn't have that much help and he kind of burned a match. Leo Berger is like actually an unreal biker. It's, it was like, it looked like it, it was no effort for him to hang on. Um, even when Sam was like smashing it at the front. So, um, I think Ben burned his match trying to do that. And then once we caught them, um, basically we sat in for like a few minutes, but then we got to the base of the big hill. Sam went to the front. I passed a lot of guys and got in like third spot. And then um, it was just driving it up that first hill, like really hard going over the top was a huge effort. And then I think that's where we kind of whittled it down to less guys um that's when you i think that's when you got rid of jason i think yeah that's when we got rid of jason and matt mcelroy and i think probably eric lagerstrom a bunch of those guys um so then yeah we we managed to stay away there was four of us i didn't even know george goodwin like i never saw george goodwin the whole race but i'm pretty sure he was right behind me the entire bike (laughs) i just (laughs) didn't see him so i was like oh it's three of us this is great um Actually, Ben Ben was there for a little while, and then he started like letting gaps open up, and I went around him to close. But it was just like it was just honestly like five or six times where I'm like, I don't know, I'm gonna try to close this gap, but I don't know if my legs are gonna be able to do it. I might blow up, and then my race might be done right here. And then every time I just managed to do it and like somehow survive it. So it was really tough. But well, I want to pause on that fact real fast because. I I think you said that even just uh, when I was talking with you after the race, like the fact I've been in many situations where I'm thinking like, well, if I try to go and close this, like I'm, my race is done and I physically probably would have been done. But the fact that you and the caliber of athlete that you're going up and doing those things with, like you guys can push beyond that threshold limit well into the race, well into the parts where you've already had to kill yourself and you just keep going back for more. And the fact that you don't blow up is it's really mind blowing to me that you all are such amazing athletes at that, like even differential between first and 10th place, even within the race, like just the level of capacity of the tip of this sport right now is crazy, crazy high. And you know, you were, you actually experienced it. It was cool to hear that you like had to dig so hard, but how do you, think you can just go over and over back without blowing up what do you think that is good question um yeah i don't know it 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 kind of seemed to start coming together like in last year that was the first year i started to kind of be able to do that and even maybe a little bit at 2021 70.3 worlds where you just like go for it and then the body can still kind of recover um but i i think it's like it's a lot of years of consistent training but also just pushing harder in the training and for me it's been like the main difference the last couple years last for the last let's say year and a half has been just doing the vast majority of my riding on the trainer even in the summer um and just working really freaking hard like it's it's you know two workouts a week that are just like really difficult long like over three hours usually several multiple main sets and you're like going into the well a little bit on those workouts um and that's how you can do it in the race but also kind of hitting that for me it's not a crazy amount of mileage but getting over that 10 hours a week of biking like probably 11 is kind of my sweet spot that i feel like i can hit and then on a lot of the sort of mileage rides just like 
taking it pretty easy, but not being super lazy, like just kind of holding that high. Like for me, like, you know, that 180-ish range is kind of that getting a good benefit from it without like a lot of stress. Um, so I think that's been a lot of it, but like, I don't know, it's, it's hard to pinpoint because also I've been doing strength training consistently for three years, like twice a week, pretty decent strength workouts, like squats and full body um, stuff. And I don't, I don't know, man, it takes, it takes a lot of years to build the endurance, but a lot of it is, I think the race experience. Like I was, when I was riding in races, like in 2017, 2018, I was doing usually around like 280, 290 Watts. And that was like, my threshold wasn't that much lower then, but I just couldn't hold as high of a percentage of it. But now like in that, in the race on the weekend, the two hour peak, which was like basically the whole bike was 328 Watts, 339 normalized, which is like getting to be close to about 90% of FTP. So I don't know, old man strength, like training experience, who knows, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's good that like each time I go that hard in a race, I'm able to start running a little bit better off of it. Um, so like I'm never, you know, it's not going to be ideal for running super fast, but to still run a 112, 30, whatever, um, was pretty solid off of how hard that ride was, I think. Yeah. Okay. So back to the race. Um, did you guys have any headwind back into the town after you hit the climbs and you're starting to break apart? How was that last probably 15 K of the ride? And did you guys get sorted out as you were going into the run or was there surges or was it pretty much like, all right, boys, we're going to be going for a run. Yeah. Um, it was still pretty honest. Like it was not easy. I, Sam sort of like waved Leo through to go to the front at like probably 75 K 70 K because he got tired of being at the front, I guess. And then Leo went to the front and he, he pushed it pretty hard. Like it was not easy. Um, it was probably still like three twenty for the most part. Um, but not, there wasn't a huge amount of wind it was it was decent like because we're early enough in the day that the wind hasn't picked up yet so that was good but coming off the bike um yeah we kind of just you know those two boys took off sam and leo they they kind of had a faster transition because both of them didn't wear socks so i was a little bit off the back and then um it looked pretty clear to me that leo was like in control the whole bike and even starting the run like he looked smooth and he like kind of bridged up to Sam pretty quickly, but then Sam like hung with him for a couple K and I was sort of hoping that Sam had gone too hard. Um, Cause it just seemed like that was probably a bit above what he was going to be able to do on the day if I was just guessing, but I was just kind of pacing myself. Like I even still did go out harder than what, what ended up finishing. Like it was, it was a tough pace, but I just kind of like hoped that the pace would result in me kind of catching Sam or someone in the second half. Um, but I really made up no time. Like he got about 30 seconds on me in the first half. And then all of a sudden I started catching him and then he really started to struggle. But Jason West was charging like crazy. Um, Did you know he I, was coming the whole time or was it just like, wait for it? Yeah, I saw him. So when I was starting the run, I saw him coming in from the bike, like to go around the whole transition. I was like, okay. So he's like, at least a couple minutes behind maybe three um so i thought there was a chance but then you know even though i was running well i could tell i didn't have like my best run legs 
I was like, okay, this is, this is a, a management type run. Um, so I saw him at the first turnaround and he was like two minutes back. I'm like, yeah, he's that's, we'll see. And then, at the, and then at the halfway turnaround, he was like 40 seconds back and I was like, all right, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to hold him off, but I know I can catch Sam. So I was like trying to catch Sam around the same time Jason caught me because I knew if like me and Jason both passed Sam pretty quick concession, he was just going to be like rattled. Um, so I was like, all right, I got to surge to make sure I catch Sam quickly. And so I caught Sam then maybe like a few, like 30 to 60 seconds later, probably Jason caught Sam. And then he just went backwards. Jason took off. So I was in second for like maybe a minute. Uh, so that was cool. But then I, I knew it was going to be third. So <laughs> Then Jason took off, but I really still pushed hard to the last turnaround to make sure I got a gap. And uh, at that point I saw like I had a pretty good gap to fourth, but I just wanted to finish pretty strong. And like, you never know what can happen, but um, Sam really went backwards. Ben finished strong on the run. Like he caught George Goodwin, who was having kind of a consistent day and um, ended up fourth. And then I think George was fifth. And what was it? Matt McElroy sixth and Sam seventh. And who picked up the last prize money spot there? Eighth. Thomas Rodriguez Hernandez. Our oh, that guy. Nemesis. Jack's best friend. <laughs> Rodriguez Hernandez. Um, yeah. And then anyway, Jeff, it was it was good. Holy ninth. Eric Lagerstrom tenth. Sorry, just to round out the top ten. No, that's good. Yeah, I, and only only ten guys. Again, only ten guys were fast in this race. Even though eleventh was sixty six ranked PTO guys, but only ten guys. So yeah. Was it Andre mm -hmm. Lopez? Yeah, yeah. Lopez, and then you had Potts at 13th. Um, ben Deal had a good race at four hours, pretty much flat 401. Um, you had, I mean, you had still like the mid pack guys pulling up some really solid times too. So it, it was a really, really well executed race for most everyone who showed up. Um, some, you know, Eric clearly didn't have the day he wanted. Trevor was a little bit too far out of the swim, and everyone else from eighth up was just in the in the mix all day long yeah it was uh you know it's and you have a 70 you know whatever how many people actually started probably close to 60 yeah i think um, it was like 54 55 yeah so you're obviously not going to have 54 55 guys that are all like in contention to win the race but well, you still had a strong you saw the strong field and then you have people who aren't even ranked very highly like leo berger who didn't race much um who's like a wild card so it would have been great if uh Jan and lionel had been able to race i yeah. mean mickey taggle don't forget about him he's he stopped because he was like hypothermic yeah he said he had a bad cold spell in the water yeah so well and also just... the 26th men was the man was the last one to not be beaten by the first woman so tamara finished 27th overall and so essentially 26th pro is is in my book like the last position that really counts for the men until you get beat by the women right does that make sense <laughs> yeah i think so yeah yeah and that's like i think that's a good way to put it but like you also have to understand that a lot of these men that finished outside the top 20 on like can consistently yeah. get paid at most races but when they put into the situation like they just went for it and they just completely exploded yeah a lot of people right? like really hard. Now, I'm not trying yeah. to discredit their performance. I'm just saying Tamara also I'm, went really fast. Yeah, no, yeah. I know what you're saying. I'm just like 
you know, putting that I think out the there. The nature too. of the way it's going now is like there's a lot of incentive to try to be at the front and um, people aren't pacing it as much. Like they're going forward on the bike and the level on the bike is getting higher and higher. Um, so yeah, like Eric said, people are blowing up more. Yeah. Um, and that's just, yeah, everyone's trying to have their breakthrough day. Right. So, but no, it was great. I mean, it was obviously not quite as exciting as last year, but it was uh, still a really good race and happy to pull out the podium. Good to see, you know, uh, George Goodwin, who'd had a off kind of off year last year, come back with a decent day. And Matt McElroy, he's figuring his biking out. Like, if you compare what he did at Indian Wells on the bike compared to this race, he improved a lot. Yeah. Um, so, so Matt McElroy's chip wasn't working. And yeah, he no. got no TV coverage. So he was just a complete ghost in the race. Like, no one knew he was even there. Yeah. So he was at the front of the group when we caught them um and he was for a little while so i think his his biking's definitely coming along yeah and he's just you know at one point uh ben canute yelled at matt to pull through and that's the one time i saw matt and i think dd caught it on that part of the broadcast yeah um, so jackson good race recap um moving into next topic how did we feel about I mean, Jackson, you were there. I was watching the the race. Garrick, you might have been watching it. I watched pretty much all I could. How did we feel about the broadcast? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the broadcast, I will say this. They did a better job than World Triathlon did for that Plymouth World Cup race. Like, at least the cameras were, like, somewhat <laughs> yeah. stable and pointed towards the cyclist. And not cyclists. random woods. Yeah, so there is that. Um, I think, you know, um, I think there's a lot of room for improvement, and I don't know if they want to improve or if they just want to keep it status quo. That's the feeling I really got from the coverage. I think people are, like, harp on the commentators a little too much. Um, I think, like, they're talking for, like, four and a half hours. They're going to say stupid shit. <laughs> I'm not worried about that. I think just what we okay. see on screen needs to change. I mean, Matt yeah. and Didi, I you know, they're doing a great job. I, I really do think given what they've been given, they're they're crushing it. I just feel like when the camera is stuck on only one athlete for like a good 15 minute block, there's no opportunity to see even the side behind or what's ahead. And that's where it's a yeah. little frustrating as a viewer. The commentators only have that same view we have. It really seems like before the race they picked like three or four guys that they want or and girls that they wanted to focus on and like that's all they did and the course doesn't help because it's one giant loop and you're biking on bike path for a lot of it like it's it's totally an unprofessional um setting for something to be for a a professional race at least what it looked like on the broadcast and b to be broadcast from so it's not like they build these courses for the professionals of the professional race uh, and it really shows on the broadcast. Yeah. Chuck, did you see a lot of moto interference at all, Jack, or was it all pretty pretty good? Um, yeah, not bad. I mean, they I on the turns the they'll often go between the cyclists. So, or when like the cone lane comes down or something, so that could be improved. Um, but there wasn't anything egregious that I saw. Like sometimes because Sam had a camera with him a fair bit of the time. And then when he would go, when it would like narrow down, it would go behind him. And then it would then be like in front of me, but I was 
honestly, most of the time I was like 15 to 20 meters behind Sam because I was like, it felt like I was constantly trying to close the gap to get closer because it was so hard. And I just like, I wasn't as close as I could have been, but even when the moto got in front of me, usually it would have been a, a more than the 15 meter allowance, but it still doesn't need to happen. It, it would never happen for a long period of time though. So like, I don't think it really, really did much, but the, the thing that happens is when you're in the big wide open areas. And then when the group is like coming together, you'll have like four or five motos to the left of the group. And then, you know, you've got to stay to the right, but if you're going, let's say on a curve or something, then it's still kind of in front of you. So like, could be, could be better. I wouldn't say it was like a huge factor in this race, um, but something that always could be improved for sure. Um, did you, so did they have the cameras on like the chase group at all much? Cause I know that there was a camera with Sam a lot, but maybe it wasn't actually being broadcast. Either- for the first bit, it was either Ben or Sam. So yeah. there wasn't really like, it was probably almost until you caught that group. Um, and when actually you caught on with Sam, when he went through and then you guys were both pulling, yeah. that was when the only first time we saw you and we knew you were like in third, fourth for a lot of it. So they missed, the, there was a lot of moves that just couldn't be probably seen and again, we're not totally like bitching about it. We want people to be able to see anybody out there is better than nobody. Just like little things. It's nice to be able to see RTS team out there when we see Sam for like, you know, 20 minutes straight or whatever it is. And then we barely see a glimpse of any other athlete. So I think that's where it's almost tough to get behind watching the broadcast the whole time because there's a lot of action. There's moves everywhere. There's people falling back in eighth place and seventh place. So I just love seeing the story. Um, it, but I think I made a comment like it's like the broadcast is t- designed to tell a couple narratives and they show footage to support the narrative um, based on the backstory of the athletes or things they pre-shot. And then it's not really a race coverage. It's just like storytelling about these athletes who are currently racing. It doesn't really cover the race and how it's unfolding. It's like, well, here's people and why they're on camera. So I think that's kind of really what we have to expect. Yeah, good point. Um, so the women's race. Yeah. Um, you know, our girl won the race, so that's pretty sick. And really, although she took over on the run, she won, in my mind, she won the race on the swim and bike because, you know, she's going to be, she's going to run the fastest. And that's, that's just more or less a given. But when she if she had been five to eight minutes off the back, like she normally would have been like in the past, then she wouldn't have been the winner. She probably would have still been able to run up to like the podium. But um, what did you guys gather from the women's race watching it live? And like my first knowledge of anything in the women's race was like coming back from that first turnaround on the run. And then I'm like, Oh, there's Chelsea. Okay. You know, and then I think second was uh, who was it at the time? Uh, cat or i think it was cat and then i'm like okay where's Tamara? and then Tamara was like right there like right there like 5k in the run i'm like not even like 4k in the run i'm like holy shit she's gonna win this thing there's no way and then she managed to but anyway what were your guys's uh give me give me a recap of the women's race because i i didn't really see it okay garrick go ahead all right um so uh let's see holly lawrence let out of the swim followed by 
uh, yeah, big gap. And then there's another group behind them that included Tamara. And everyone has been saying Tamara had the swim of her life. And all I have to say is at the end of the season, you will no longer be saying that that was the swim of her life because she's going to be consistently doing that just based off what I saw. Uh, and then basically it was Cat Matthews, Paula Finley, uh, Tamara. Holly. And well, Holly was off the front for a bit, right? No, oh, yeah. And then Chelsea. And, um, Chelsea. and Chelsea. And they, they caught Holly. And at that point, I don't know if they knew Tamara was there, but once they figured it out, you saw Paula go to the front and like talk to Holly a bit up the one climb. Yeah. And I think their their game was like, hey, we got to shake Tamara. And they just could not do it. Um, Tamara took a penalty. Uh, she said she it was just inexperience. Uh, she took out a blocking penalty, which is just 30 seconds. So she ended up coming off the bike about a minute and a half down, something like yeah. that. And then we just saw a battle among five women for the top five spots. And that was super exciting. Um, you know, Tamara came through uh, on the end of the first lap, like right at the end of the first lap. She came through ended up winning and um yeah chelsea was second and cat was third but um <laughs> it's crazy to see cat matthews as well she was having like so much fun out there apparently she was like telling dad jokes to holly in transition and like stuff like that so well that's what that was i was gonna ask about yeah. that because i heard that like there was some kind of an exchange going on there yeah, you couldn't uh, tell if it was aggressive or not based on the camera following from behind. You couldn't tell if they were like, hey, get the fuck out of here, or if they were like, hey, let's go have a great time. Yeah. Yeah, I think oh, it man. was, from what I heard, uh, Kat was just, like, making jokes, and Holly was saying, like, they were basically dad jokes. But she was, like, Holly looked like she was just, like, in race mode, and Kat was like, this is so crazy. Like, I'm in a race right now and just having so much fun. And then she ended up having a great run. Um, I don't remember during the woman's coverage seeing many of the other female athletes outside of Tamara, Chelsea, Kat, Holly, and Paula. I think you had Danielle Lewis, Maj Stage Nelson, uh, Anna Marie Strello, which was her first pro race coming in, I think, eighth position. Um, and then Nicole Falcaro, our other RTS female. 10th place um i don't remember seeing anyone else like ever on camera i don't think there was any coverage it even took about half of the race just for them to get a camera on Tamara. yeah um but garrick you and i were just at camp with Tamara, and i think we kind of like put a, a nod to each other like she's biking even up the like we just do an easy ride and she would just go up like a tumbleweed and when we're at like 220 watts she's just yeah leaving us like it's nothing yeah. in her swim Go ahead. The best video, the best video from camp was the easy ride that we were doing. And she was dropping me on a hill and I was at like 330 watts. <laughs> she's just like pulling away and it's supposed to be like an easy ride. That was really funny. But yeah, her swimming, go ahead. Yeah, her swimming too. We saw her do some really good sets. Um, you know, I think there was like a nine nine K set in, in yards. Okay. She was supposed to do an eight K set in uh meters. So so she put in the, a lot of volume. She started last season, I think reconstructing her swim stroke and I, we got some underwater footage definitely looks better than it ever has so I don't think that this was a fluke I think it's a testament to the hard work Tamara has been putting in and I told her this the other day like I think just like when Sam Long and when Lionel came on 
just like the pure bite caliber. And now Jason West with his run caliber, I think they're going to push our sport further. They're going to, everyone else now has to adjust and step up. Even Leo Berger just coming in, like everyone has to reassess how they perform. And I think it has the women's field scratching their heads because you know, like if Tamara is within two minutes off the bike, um, onto the run, she has the best chance out of any 70.3 female, probably right now outside of maybe Annie Haug or something to that. I mean, there's maybe some Ashley gentle, maybe, yeah, maybe Ash gentle. I would love to see that battle between Tamara and Ash PTO girl champs, man. So that'd be it. It's the day is the day after St. George. Yeah. I think it's the seventh. We got to have a watch party, bro. Yeah. So I think that Tamara is going to change the women's approach to how they're like, Oh man, this Tamara can run a one thirteen on most any course. Like something's got to change with my program. Either we have to increase the bike or we've got to, I don't know. I don't know. You just have to adjust. So I don't want to, you know, speculate too much, but I really just think Tamara has a top 10 ranking in her future for sure in the, you know, PTO rankings. And the scary thing is I don't want to expose her too much, but she has a lot of room still to improve on the bike. Like there's a lot of marginal gains there that she's not, yeah, that she doesn't has not gained yet. Maybe aerodynamically, um, you know, maybe tactically and real quick before we move on into kind of closing this out, but what, what is the speculation on the penalty she received? Because technically blocking should be a different time period, right? Is, is it five minutes or is it 30 seconds? I don't know. I, I just haven't done the research yet, but it seems like there was some speculation from some of the other athletes. Maybe it should have been longer. I think the speculation yeah, I, is – go ahead, Jack. Well, I, I, I thought any type of drafting violation was supposed to be five. However, um, I know that there was some age group athletes as well in the mix, and there may have been some kind of a different rule because of it not being – like it, it, may, it may have been a blocking penalty on an age group athlete. So, like, I was kind of thinking about this, and I'm, it's like it's kind of crazy – that like you could have your race derailed by someone who you're not even racing, um, if, you know, whoever's fault it is. Like it's just especially when you get age group athletes who come in and maybe they like surge and try to get ahead and then they like super tired and then they hit their brakes or whatever. Like it's kind of it's kind of tough. So um, it'd be interesting to hear from Tamara Ooh. like exactly how that played out or what happened there. Well, I'm so I just just Google it really quick and I pulled up. It looks like Ironman violations. It's their official document. And I'm looking at the drafting violation, blue card, the blue card for littering. And then blocking violation is clearly yellow. And it says a one minute for Ironman full distance and 30 seconds for 70.3. So maybe it really is just a 30 second blocking penalty anyways. So It seems like it's probably legit. Yeah, that's crazy. I think I think the controversy is whether or not blocking yeah. was the well, right. That's what call. it says, and that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll tag our I'll tag this to Garrick so yeah. you can put it in show notes just in case. Yeah, but um, I think I cut out there. But I think where the controversy is is whether or not the penalty she was awarded was the correct penalty. Okay. Whether it should be for blocking or incomplete pass whatever that's called because she from when she got the penalty they think 
the athletes think it's from when she went up when they were going up a hill she came up next to cat and she couldn't complete the pass whether it's because they went over the top or whatnot and then she dropped back um and they, they think it might be from that or it might be from earlier and that's just when the ref got to them but she, i don't think tamra ever went to get clarification she did say so. that there was a jostling actual absolute blocking part where they kind of had to navigate around some age group athletes so it could have been mostly yeah that i hope um so it could be a combination of that but i i would imagine that if the ref's going to give a like the ref's probably using his discretion at that point and um if they're going to make a call usually the ref err on the side of like too much of a call so at that point i would say it's probably a fair call yeah and it's pretty obvious if you got a pass and you back out of it that's pretty you know clear blue card probably um so i i don't know but anyways that's the best we can kind of come up with with what we know right now um so great race obviously jackson being able to get on the podium and really thoroughly destroy your legs um tamara coming out of a two-week training camp in henderson where we had a great time. It was fun. I'm glad that she was able to take that fitness and Nicole, obviously coming on and getting top 10, missing the payment by a couple, a couple slots, unfortunately, but still, I think she had no idea she was going to be able to get be in the top 10. So I think a huge success. Yeah. Huge success, especially for Nicole. She's going to get tons of points from this and she's going to move up the rankings. Yeah. Quite a bit. She went up, she went awesome. up five points or five positions. She went up. Nice. Oh, I already released it. I, I don't think I'm, I don't think I changed unless somebody passed me. Yeah. They, I think Nicole already sent me a screenshot. Um, so that's, yeah, much- I don't, yeah, I don't think you changed cause you got 77 points from this and your lowest was like 78. So yeah. Yeah. Um, which is crazy. 78 points in <laughs> third place on a crazy field. It's, it's not, I'm not saying the points are fucked or anything. I'm just saying it's crazy that the system is, you know, is what it is. Um, uh, de-inflated from where it used to be because that yeah. used to be you would have gotten a thousand points last year <laughs> 17 percent bonus yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should have gotten a sleeve bonus for wearing sleeves oh yeah or you might have gotten a, a little less because it was in north america but <laughs> speaking of sleeves there uh are the new uh jack crew sonic has officially been aero tested in the wind tunnel preliminary data looks like it's testing super well so can't wait to see the official on that but that freaking suit was awesome man like it it doesn't limit your swimming at all like the shoulders are super mobile and then it's like really snug and nice for the bike and you know that it's like definitely very aero with how much tech they put into it and they put that aero fabric on like the entire back and arms and everything so i think it's got to be one of the fastest suits around so do you think it's faster than if you're racing naked? Uh, nothing could beat that. Like, that would be the fastest possible. <laughs> I got a lot of drag around the saddle. I'd have to. Especially if you. <laughs> I'd have a rudder. <laughs> so anyways, the next part of this episode, we are going to jump in with Race Ranger, which is a product that is doing what they can to kind of improve the efficacy of drafting calls, our ability, our ability as professional athletes to have situational awareness of how far or close we are to the person ahead of us and gives the refs an idea on that as well, based on offenses. We'll talk about everything, how they've, they've actually, man, if you look a couple 
hundred episodes back. We, we had them on initially um, maybe one of our first 20 episodes, I think. And Almost, now, yeah. now they've actually done prototype testing in Australia and New Zealand. A lot of great feedback. I think even Sebastian Keenley was talking about it a lot. So we'll talk about their goals, what the funding looks like and how, if we can see anything else in North America coming up, but yeah, that's pretty much it. What's up, Garrett? Yeah, this is this is gonna be great for Jack for when he's drafting Sam. Oh God. <laughs> Actually, you know what? This is gonna be unreal because like it gets so much harder to hang when you're like 15 meters back compared to like 12 or when you're 20 meters back, it's way harder. And when guys aren't gonna be able to push those limits anymore, it's it's gonna it's gonna it's make, really gonna make a difference, I think. So make a difference for a couple people that we already know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not saying names. Um, all right. Well, anyways, let's move into Just that. Calling episode. everybody out on this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's move into that episode. Uh, all right. As promised, we have a follow-up episode. And if you scroll back way back yonder to our probably first. 10 or 15 episodes, we had James on initially when he was kind of first kicking this product off race ranger. He hasn't had to change his name due to any conflicts and still good, still going. And this episode I think is a great update opportunity. The lighting looks good, dude. You look, you look great. Okay. You okay. just, you look so suave right now. <laughs> um, Jackson's here. He's eating per usual, as you can see, but um, but James, man, first and foremost, had, give us a scale like or not, on a scale of one to ten. How you feeling about Race Ranger? How's it been going? Yeah, it's been awesome. Um, it's been a hectic uh, probably a uh, year and a half since we caught up last Nick. Um, you're actually my first podcast. Uh, thank you for having me on. Um, being gentle. Uh, yeah, no, it's been um, very busy. I'm, I'm still uh, at my day job as well. So I still work at Specialized um, for most of my time. And um, yeah, it's sort of getting to the point where I need to make a decision there. Um, but no, everything's sort of progressed on. We, we just raised money at that point and we've sort of ticked off all the goals we plan to hit um, with that raise and have a product uh, that's got through some competition trials now. So yeah, super exciting. And our um, plans are sort of pretty open from here where we go. So, yeah. so it sounds like you're like at a feeling like a seven out of 10. Oh, I'd be a bit higher than that. I reckon I nice. give it at least an eight and a half. Yeah. No, it's um, things have gone well. Uh, they've gone a bit slower than we would have liked, but that's, that's normal with making anything new with electronics. I can tell you what is about a five out of 10 is my swim cap tan line on my forehead and my goggles tan. It's, fucking terrible no that's a that's a 10 out of 10 for sure <laughs> Look at that. i just noticed it in this lighting is terrible if you could see the video podcast on youtube uh, this is what's uh, what it looks like um james so our listeners you know since most of them are we do have a lot of around the world base but majority is north america and canada so your product hasn't really officially rolled out in our territories yet so could you please give a brief backdrop background into why you decided to invest all of your time and energy and your family's future into this product and, and also the need, the demand for it, obviously um, a little bit of a background. We'd love to hear some, some more for the sure. who don't know what race ranger is. Okay. So race ranger is a, an electronic system to address the 
biggest problem in triathlon, which is uh, from an athlete's experience point of view, uh, drafting. And it's a system where athletes have some hardware on their bikes. Uh, they have uh, one device on the front and one on the back of their bike. And the devices basically you know, interact and, and talk to all the other bikes around them, measure the distances really accurately between bikes, um, and then give the athletes um, a guide as to how close they are. So as an athlete riding along, uh, you're looking ahead at the rider in front of you, trying to gauge what that distance is and make sure you don't get into the draft zone. And at the same time, make sure you don't get too far back. Uh, and you'll have now have a, a light on the back of that bike in front of you, telling you basically how close you are. And the lights are uh, three different colors and they change color depending on how close you get. What, so what that's colors basically do you on? So we've ended up um, avoiding the combination of green and red. So we haven't used green because of people with color blindness can't tell the difference. Um, we have a red color for if you're in the draft zone and we're actually going to make that a, a rapidly flashing red color now rather than a solid red light. So if you're in the illegal zone, it's going to flash red at you like crazy. Um, once you step out of the draft zone, we've got a two meter sort of last warning zone of uh, blue light. And so that's um, if you're working off a 12 meter zone, it's 12 to 14 meters. If you're working off, say, a 20 meter zone, it's 20 to 22. Um, and then the beyond that, there's another sort of uh, first contact, uh, we're calling it light, which is a an orange light for three meters. So say 14 to 17 meters. So you have a total of five meters worth of um, warning lights, and then you're into the, the draft zone. Yeah, super helpful because otherwise we don't know literally where we are at all based off of just some slashed lines in the road that are may or may not be 12 meters apart based on consistency and country. So that it is a big problem. Jack, do you find that awareness in terms of how close you are to other athletes or far is been a problem for a lot of us? Um, well, it depends on, it depends on the race and stuff. Some of them do have the good lines, but it just, it just adds ambiguity and sort of uncertainty. And um, it kind of gives, I think if anything, like there's two types, I mean, there's probably two types of athletes. There's the ones who are trying to push the limits and get away with being as close as they can and probably trying to be closer than they should be. And then sort of being like, well, they can't tell exactly. So I'm not going to get a penalty. And then there's the ones who are like, I don't want to get a penalty. I don't want to cheat. I'm going to go further than I need to go to make sure that I don't do any of that. And then they end up at like 15 to 20 meters. And then they're not really actually getting the sort of legal draft benefit that a lot of the other guys are. So, um, yeah, it really depends on the personality and sort of the race location, but yeah, I think, I think there is definitely some variation in like how far certain people think 12 meters is and you don't see you don't really see a lot of penalties for like just being too close. Um, I, you know, it usually it's like slotting in or blocking or stuff like that. So I do think people do get too close and then the referees often don't make the call because they're not certain that they were too close. And there that's where this, you know, device would just fix that. Like if you're too close and you back out, it's a penalty. Um, so, you know, that really makes it really enticing for someone like me who tries to kind of break away on the bike when I can and where I can. And, and, you know, the bike is kind of where I make my 
gains in the in the race but i mean for everyone they should want this but the people who've been advocating most for it are definitely like the strongest bikers and that's understandable i think yeah so, so james you probably run against two defining factors within this product you've got the pro athletes who absolutely are more advocating for this than anybody since we really would love a more fair and honest race that we can actually put data behind and you've provided that service um so really quick where have you and i know since we talked like you've gone into beta testing you showed me a demonstration in saint george when world championships were here and it was amazing how i could walk closer get those three signals of lights and it was really easy to see and what you know it doesn't take a lot of space on your bike it's really small lightweight so all those complaints for weight weenies and aerodynamics are pretty easy to kind of talk around you know i'm sure you've probably still gotten some feedback but my question is where have you tested and what is the buy-in from the age group versus the pro athlete demographic been like at the races that you have to sure. so right now we have uh 40 sets complete so we can only really do a field of 40 athletes uh, but the team are currently assembling the next 80 so we'll soon have somewhere between 110 and 120 capacity um so really we've only had the numbers to, to test with pros and we for the foreseeable future that'll kind of be what we have um, and we see it being a, a really good way to, to get everyone to understand it before we try and make it uh, an age group thing and and definitely you know any product um, that the, the pros get behind you know the age groupers eventually follow and um, we'll learn a lot from working with the pros you know this year potentially next year before trying to address you know a larger number of athletes um, so the races we've been to, we, we started at a, an independent little race in New Zealand. Um, there's sort of three or four long distance races or non-draft big races in New Zealand over the summer. And this is one of the kind of the first one on the calendar. It's, it's in early January. Uh, it's a nice summer holiday time here. And um, so it's a, you know, it's a big, pretty important race on our calendar. So the, the Tauranga Half Ironman or Half is called these days. Um and so that was that was our first one, and and it had actually a ten meter draft zone there. It was run under a, a triathlon New Zealand rule, which um, needs updating. But, yeah, they just um, love drafting there, apparently. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was really really good to actually get it out in a race and get some feedback. Um, we did have probably I think three quarters of the field had no problems at all. They said yeah, it worked as you would expect the whole time. Um, the other sort of quarter of the field had um, a few, you know, reported a few times when it didn't work as they would have hoped it, it went off or it, um, yeah, the main thing was that it just went off when they would have expected it on. Um, and so there were a few things for us to look into there. And um, yeah, we sort of pushed on to another race. I think it was two or three weeks after that. I think it was three weeks. And that was to challenge Wanaka. Uh, so we made a few software updates. The hardware stayed the same, you know, right through and it's, we're pretty happy with the, the the choice of components that we've got, and um, we made one minor update to the boards we're making at the moment. But the hardware is fairly solid. It's just tweaking what the the software does and how it handles uh, all the different inputs. Um, so yeah, Challenge Wanaka went there. It was a, a twenty meter race. So that's um, actually where I live here in Wanaka's hometown race, twenty meter dis draft distance. And um, yeah, that that actually worked. You know, we, we overcame some of the problems we had in in Taronga, um, found some new ones, and uh, yeah, basically just went on from there and went to our first Ironman race. So Ironman New Zealand, um, were, you know, it was really, really great that they 
were able to fit us into their event and uh, we got a test over the full iron distance. Uh, we actually created a problem there that um, we sort of noticed as soon as the race started that uh, was of our own doing around a little mistake in the way we'd set the firmware up. Uh, so while we got some good feedback out of that, it wasn't kind of the, the slam dunk we were really looking for. Um, so those were our three planned races. And then we kind of added a fourth one, which was two weeks ago now at uh, the Geelong 70.3 in Australia. Um, so Ironman had us back for another race, which is fantastic. And uh, yeah, basically it worked. We, we nailed it there and, and it's now at a point where I'm happy to say it's ready to go for uh, top level competition at, at any event around. Um, we did our first international trip. So logistics of getting uh, 80, 80 devices with batteries to another country and, and back. They're still not quite back yet, but um, yeah, that, that's been a, a good learning curve. Um, and uh, I yeah, had some, we did some drama around that, should we say, ended up, um, I had to fly over to Australia on the Thursday and back to carry some over oh. uh, because our air freight booking fell through on the way over and um, then actually paid for Mike Phillips, the winner of the race, his partner to also fly over on the Saturday day before the race to bring some spares for us. Um, so we, we hand carried them over. Um, so yeah, really good to get over there and, and do a international race and get that stuff all figured out, learn some lessons there. But um, in terms of performance in the race, we had a situation where eight or nine guys were together for the whole 90 K and they all reported no problems um, with the system. There were no, no glitches. We did see one thing that we weren't happy with where uh, the devices seemed to be resetting themselves every, you know, at random times, maybe 10 or so times during the race for a couple of them, which is, you know, quite high and we wouldn't want to see that. And, and it sort of creates five seconds of where it turns off, then all the lights flash and then it's ready to go again and resumes normal um, functionality. But sort of by the Wednesday after the race, we'd, we'd found what that bug was. So we're kind of running out of problems to, to fix it seems and um, pretty happy with where it is now in terms of ready to roll out. So technology is new and Cam Brown is one of the oldest guys I know still racing professionally. How did Cam Brown like this product? I didn't actually get to Cam after the race. Um, obviously the finish area of an Ironman is a bit more hectic than of a 70.3 and some people just disappear into um it's a medical tent and never see them again. So I didn't get a reaction from Cam and I don't actually know if he was with many on the race, uh, but I'll have to ask him. But in general, the athlete feedback, yeah, it's been, been pretty unanimously fantastic. Um, you can't really, um, it's one of those things when you use it, it's hard to go back from it. It's sort of just right there and in your mind. And imagine the first time you used a, a touchscreen, you know, iPhone type phone, going back to an old keyboard or a flip phone, just, you just can't see it happening. So it's that sort of experience. And the main thing is that you, as an athlete, you're always sort of wondering what the referee's going to think. And as sort of Jackson mentioned, there's those athletes who really just don't want to get a penalty. And, and I remember being that, that athlete in Europe, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, jumping in these non-drafting races and not really knowing a, what the distance was, but b what the referees would allow as well and allowing too much space. Um, and all of a sudden, the next guy behind me would, you know, slot in in front of me and therefore you had to drop back. And I would end up at the back of the line uh, after yeah. leading out a swim, pushing along at, you know, 120 beats per minute sort of um, heart rate. But um, suddenly an attack would go up the front and, and you're out of the race and uh, going, what what the heck just happened? So this just takes away that 
confusion and you now know exactly what the distance is. You know the referee can see the same thing. So there's no sort of friction between you and the referee or or that question in the back of your mind like, A, is the referee watching me? And, and B, are they going to agree with my guesstimation? Is their guesstimation going to line up with mine? Um, and yeah, it just takes a lot of the, the guesswork out of it. So a bit of a no-brainer for the athletes. Um, the officials, yeah, they as well as sort of coming around to it, they they uh, they can't fault like the benefit it adds. I think the struggle for a lot of them is to realize how close the athletes can actually get. So we've all been sort of thinking mentally what 12 meters is. And when you stand 12 meters away in a transition area and, and do that tape measure test, uh, 12 meters feels like a, a step distance. But when you're riding along, uh, you can actually get a lot closer than you think. There's an effect. It's quite weird. It's like when you're driving on the motorway really, really fast, say the Autobahn in Germany, you might think you're quite close to the car in front of you, but if you took a picture from the side, you're miles apart. So uh, the actual, you know, the in, in the short term, the effect is that the athletes can actually find out a lot of the time they can get a lot closer than they thought they could previously. So, you know, perhaps there needs to be some rule changes to account for that down the line, but that's not really our, our warehouse. But uh, a lot of the referees was getting that was they're sort of having to admit now that oh, I've probably given some penalties that didn't need to be penalties in, the, in my time because of that distance. So there's a little bit of adjustment there, but um, yeah, no, generally they love it. And once they've used it, we've, you know, we've made these little cards up for them that they can have as their lanyard. Let's see if I can show that. Oh, you got to put it in front uh, of your face. In front of my face. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> so it's like a little, um, the athletes get a sticker on their top tube that oh. sort of describes what the colors mean. And we, yeah. for the last race, we added a, you know, a, a card that the referees can have with their, their penalty cards. So they've got a reference as well. Um, yeah. Learning as we go, little things like that. But. So I have a couple questions about like the functionality in terms of as you change positions. So let's say somebody's riding, it's a 12 meter race and there are 16 meters. And so then somebody comes in slots in front of them, then they're not within 12, but then for a temporary period of time, the person who has to drop back, it would show red. Is that correct? Yeah, so that that's actually the dropping back thing and slowing in is a situation that is probably getting the most discussion at the briefings, and it's one that um, the referees need to address probably to the athletes. And we're working already with with World Triathlon on you know a, a set of guidelines and how it can sort of adapt. We can adapt the competition rules because technically, if an athlete is more than twelve meters, a following athlete can pass them, and then that and and that they can hold that position. Um, and and they don't need to you know potentially pass everyone in the line all of a sudden. So if you if you're seeing a blue light on the rider one ahead of you, that can be a signal that you know there's a gap there. So what we've sort of said is that with that that blue zone, if the blue light is showing, there's no we're going to just say there's no gap to close as a as a workaround. So if you see an orange light, then you can enter that that gap. There's a big enough gap for you to pull in. But if it's blue or if it's sort of flicking between blue and orange, then then it's not enough gap to pull in. So these are the kind of things that the referees need to just make clear at the briefing on how they're going to police it. Um, because you don't want a situation where someone's riding, say, just outside the red, so they're legal um, in the blue. Somebody comes up next to them and goes, well, technically you're outside the 12, so I can pull in front of you. Uh, and a whole lot of dynamics start happening that we don't want to happen. So, yeah. The interesting thing, though, is if you're in the blue, that you you have to actually be more than 12 meters. Like the thing that I've never mm -hmm. understood is people are like, well, then people can always slot in as long as you're just over 12 meters, but you can't because a bike is two meters long. 
So to get the, the back of your bike in front of the front of their bike and they're at 12, then now you're at 10 because the rule actually states um, front wheel to front wheel. So you've, you've passed someone and as soon as your front wheel goes ahead of their front wheel. So that's right. how they get so around then, that. So then you just sit there and then they have to drop back. Then you can move over. Yeah. That's... But at the moment, because we don't have this black and white, what is 12 meters? It's just like, yeah, he looks like he's about 12 meters. Therefore you can't slot in or, yeah. yeah, his gap looks considerably bigger than 12, therefore you can. Um, I like the idea of just saying, if they're in the blue, you can't slot in. you got to keep going. Yeah, um, That makes Makes a lot of sense to me. The the difficult thing, uh, this really doesn't have anything to do with Race Ranger, but the difficult thing that I've always thought is like, when somebody goes to pass, like the time it takes, the gap, the gap that they're trying to fill can change so much. So you have to kind of anticipate what's happening. Um, I've always found that if you want to move up a group, you can do that. Um, on a hillier course, you can do that when you're kind of like going up over the hill because the gaps always open as you start to get over the crest and then you can fill it in. But the opposite, like if you're trying to pass and then it's crunching up the bottom of the hill as people are slowing down, then you really have to go all the way to the front. Um, Mm. so it's just like experience and knowing those things, but having a system would really, would really help. And just being able to sort of try to be like, okay, stick in the blue with a little bit of yellow, then, you know, you're not, you know, pushing that limit. And this, I imagine once you kind of get a feel for where the lights are, you'll, you'll know the distance, like you can see what the distance is and you'll be used to it. So it won't have to be quite as like, you know, you won't have to stare constantly. Like you'll just get a feel for that. I imagine. Um, Yeah. And that's what people have said when it's um, when it's sort of had those glitches in the earlier races and gone off. If they've already had it to that point, they've now got a reference of what it actually is. And it's quite easy to follow. Yeah. Um, And relating to Jackson's kind of comment about the undulation of a course, um, how has that kind of been received? I, I, I would say anytime I've raced in Europe, anytime I've really even been in some North American courses, sometimes the referees just leave during a long climb because we do tend to bunch up the aerodynamic effect is gone um pretty much completely and it's all just power to weight ratio and who's willing to burn another match and anyways i've always seen those gaps come down to like eight meters and there's been times when there's someone like literally who could touch my back if they wanted to so not that i think that that's right or wrong i just wanted to know you know, is that something we should always stagger no matter what, based on the rules, probably? Yes. Um, but do you think athletes are going to be like, well, normally we're able to climb and not get a penalty a little bit tighter because those gaps that are maintained through the entirety of a climb, like Jackson said, over the crest, they stretch out really big in an accordion effect. So let's say you might be within a couple bike lengths of, or a couple legal bike distances of two or three riders and then that might stretch over the top to like you know 50 meters right away and you've got a really you know surge have you have you guys had any chats about that scenario specifically the validity of bunching up keeping them tight and is that still basically up to the referees yeah so a few things there but as you said at the end there it is down to the referees still to make the decision and use their their gut on the situation they're looking at um in terms of you know, we've tried to build the system to fit with the current rule set as much as possible. So we haven't tried to, you know, come out with something that's designed around a, 
a time gap rather than a distance gap or anything like that. If the sport wants to go that way as a result of having this technology, we can do that. You know, we can change things. But um, in terms of uh, those bunching up effects, it, it's going to come down to the referee's gut decision is, is still the call. So as they would currently, the referee will come up on some riders, assess the situation, and then decide to give a penalty. Now they'll just have the distance um, part taken out of it. So they'll have a, <laughs> a clear a clear you know data point to go into their decision. And then if the, if they see that it's you know within 12, but there are other factors that lead them to decide not to give a penalty, then that's still their call. Yeah, I could see like a line of 10 people climbing just like with red lights everywhere. And the refs are coming up like, oh yeah, baby, it's on. We can see. Yeah. yeah, so there's a bit of intent they look for. A lot of them talk about looking for intent. Um, and if, if, you know, it goes red when that situation bunches up and then it, stretches out again as long as they're not getting you know they're not trying to draft they're sort of trying to as you say get out of the draft a little bit or or keep a bit of a gap um yeah. or move forward you know it, it's a long time 25 seconds to move past one person each person so you know a very gradual pass generally you know it, hopefully by taking the distance measurement out of it they've got less to worry about and they can more worry about what the time actually is of those passes happening okay yeah, perfect. Um, in real life scenario, obviously we're all going to come against, so that's good. Good feedback. Um, so so you have- I have another question before Nick jumps into that. Were there actually penalties given in the races, or was it more of a deterrent of like people know what it is now, so they can't really get a penalty? There was have been zero penalties in a race with race rangers so far, um, out of the four races. Where I I expect there would have been two or three out of those four races. Normally, I have to go back and check previous years. Um, I don't know about the word deterrent. It's more just you can't taking get away the argument out of it. when there's a red light in front of you. Like if there's the odd person who does, you know, try to get away with it, now they they can't because they're going to be like, well, the ref's going to see this and give me a penalty. Exactly. So, but it's also just making it clear. Like if you don't know what the distance is, now you do, and and the referee sees the same thing, and you're following along, and it's blue. You can look at the referee, and you both do a quick thumbs up and a smile, and that's basically a situation for everyone on the course. So unless you're really trying to push it now and you think the referee's not watching, you should be able to get away without a drafting penalty other than the, you know, slotting in um, scenarios, but, but those should become a lot clearer as well for everyone involved. Perfect. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we've had testing, you've had good feedback, you've worked out some glitches you've so far been able to really work on the professional field and you know our fields are getting bigger so that 120 men and women together is definitely going to be tapped out pretty quick i'm sure um so where what's next where are you headed what's the future what and you know where are you in terms of growth uh funding and if anybody wants to invest uh you know what what does the opportunity look like sure yeah so we're actually raising right now so thanks for mentioning that nick so we're um you know, raising our second fundraising round at the moment, uh, hopefully closing in the next couple of weeks. Um, that's uh, yeah, that's an important part of the process is to keep you know keep the whole thing moving and and growing. Um, how does it turn into a business? Um, so this year we are started to book events that are actually paying us to come. So this is for the the pros. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got um, got two that we've announced so far. So there's the long distance. Uh, I uh, will triathlon um, long distance world champs in Ibiza. It's on the 7th of May. Uh, so we'll be there for that. 
And I think at last count, there's about 80 athletes uh, on the start lists for those, the men's and women's. So it's going to be exciting. Um, a week later, there's an independent race in Spain. Um, it's called the Trade-In 140.6. Uh, I think it's I think it's sort of the Spanish middle distance champs. Um, and the sponsor there is right behind making the event sort of you know the biggest race in Spain and one of the biggest in Europe. I think it's been PTO supported in the past. So we'll be there as well. Um, we're still definitely talking with the rest, you know, good conversations with the PTO, um, some challenges there, obviously, with, with their races being, you know, one in Europe, one in Asia, one in the US, and um, one to be announced. It's, um, you know, a lot of lot of air freight and a lot of travel to get for us too. So working with them on how we can make it work. Um, Ironman, we've, we've sort of focused on Europe as our, as our goal location to go to and talking closely with the Ironman Europe team. Um, Definitely, they're considering it very closely. Um, obviously, with a view to the the age group use case down the line, um, and wanting to, um, I guess, understand it and get familiar with it from this early stage with the pros, and obviously the the benefits it adds to the fair race as well. Um, and then obviously challenge family as well. Um, still, we're still talking with them. So my uh, my year still looks a bit up in the air. Um, there's um, there's sort of the the driver at World Triathlon. Why are we sort of working with them? Um, we've sort of already drafted a, a, a first amendment to the rules, to the competition rules on how uh, Race Ranger or you know, other technologies that may come along would be um, used and how referees can be trained to use them and the implications for athletes. Um, so that process has started and that's sort of why we you know, are pretty closely working with them. Um, they would like to use it at their, with their para-athletes. So if you imagine the, you know, the Paralympics, um, there are athletes on you know standard bikes say with a you know prosthetic from the knee down sort of thing and they're actually not allowed to draft uh, so it's an olympic sport where this fairness issue is is a big point of contention so um we're driving here with them on that and uh, probably turn up at a few of their para uh, events this year uh, with a view to next year in, in paris so um, that's exciting um but yeah it's sort of a bit uncertain still at the moment i've got these these two races in may and then we haven't um, got, got others we're talking to yet, but haven't announced yet. Um, for me, it's sort of at the point where I need to take my family to Europe or not. Or not. So it's sort of a bit, bit stressful at the moment working out what's going on. Yeah. But um, I'm sure we'll get there and um, fundraising is going really well. So yeah. uh, happy on that front. Yeah. I mean, it's going terrible. You need a lot more. Everyone needs to send money your way, right? Is that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That'd be great. Any sport goes a long way. Yeah, um, We haven't sort of opened it up to kind of crowdfunding levels it's um still sort of wholesale investors they're called so yeah um wealthy what's your guess for when you think this is going to be in every pro race non-drafting for just no matter what how many years well uh, it's ready to go now like 110 sets we can do pretty much any pro race right there's you have what about when there's like four pro races on the same weekend and stuff like that Standard. Yeah, we'd have to choose one. Yeah, so there's a couple of scenarios this year where I'd where I'd have two bookings and I'd need yeah. to you know have a one set goes one way, the other the other lot go the other way, and you know we make sure the numbers don't get too high. Um, we can make more depending on how much we raise right now. Um, I think this year you know we're coming at it a bit late. We we plan to be have this sort of good to go moment back in September last year or earlier, um, and things just took longer and longer and. It's now coming at the end of March. So if you think about a lot of the big races this year to add, you know, some some more expense to their budget for the year, um, 
to something that's sort of just coming out of trial phase is probably a bit of a late ask. Maybe some of the second half of the season races will, will have a better shot, but it's easier to say for a lot of them, um, hey, look, it's great. Um, we're just going to watch it this year and we'll see. We'll definitely use it next year sort of thing. So I think next year we'll have a fuller calendar. Uh, we can potentially do more races with, um, you know, beefing up our numbers of devices. Uh, but, um, yeah, we do need the events to get behind it to, to really drive it forward. So the more, uh, I guess, more guys like yourself, Jackson, jump up and down about it and um, and sort of ask for it and sort of advocate for it, the, the quicker we'll get out there. I love it. Sure. I want to send an email to the head referee of Ironman and just be like, look, man, make this happen because there's penalties that get given out are often just weird and just unknown whether they were deserved or not. Like the one that, that everyone, when they get it, they say like, I should not have gotten this was, is, is slotting in because if somebody slots in the referee is always at the back of the group and they see them slotting in way the heck up there. And they're like, there wasn't space there, but they have no idea if you're, 100 meters behind you do not know what the gap is and that's like the most commonly complained about one that i've seen whereas if people get like a blocking or uh you know too slow to pass or anything like that you don't hear as many complaints yeah we can um kind of talk on that one as well so those referees will probably still sit towards the back of the group but as a referee or someone at the back you can see all the lights in the line so yeah. from you know six seven riders back you can see what's going on up up ahead and whether whether it was blue or it was orange when that person slotted in so that stuff should become a lot more cut and dry as well um and we've definitely been talking with jimmy Ricatello at, at ironman the head referee there for a long time since uh 2018 i first had a call with him on the topic um, and uh yeah, he's been awesome to work with he's given us a lot of input uh, my initial model for the product was um like an autonomous system that didn't need the referees anymore um, but from him and another other um, people in sport, the feedback was at least initially definitely still leave the decision with the referees. Um, so yeah, Jimmy's been really helpful, and he's he's basically been the one who's got us into those trials with Ironman at, at Topor and, and Geelong in the last few weeks. So definitely talking to Jimmy. I think uh, Jimmy is a very underutilized asset for the sport. I called him after this last year's debacle with. Jackson passing Sam and like the conflicting data with the commentators versus the refs. And it, it caused a lot of tension, obviously in the sport. Yeah. Thanks for that guys. It was a big help for us. Yeah, of course it was. <laughs> and he was like, you know how many times pro athletes actually call me throughout the year? He's like, you're the first one. And like, I'm always available. So I think it's really a great asset to be able to have a referee who's willing to talk with us and be very candid and open to change. And Jimmy is not out to, just make money and make it harder. He's, he's, he's there an advocate for sport. And I used to not really think that until I talked to him. So I'm really so happy to hear that they're really pushing for it on their end too. Um, and quickly, as you do expand this to bigger levels, maybe hundreds of units, obviously this is timing chips or at races in the thousands, you know, that's a huge, huge workload for an entire team at one race. Now, would this be something that an age group athlete could opt in and maybe pay extra to have that kind of anti-draft? Or is this going to be something that you all are going to roll out as a mandatory asset at certain races? And that's kind of like, I guess, my my final question on the product. Yeah, sure. Definitely the logistics of those numbers get get pretty, you know, it's a different challenge than dealing with 
50 to 100 pros. And at the moment, we're fitting the devices ourselves um, rather than having the athlete do it. It is simple enough for the athlete to do it themselves. I had a couple in, in Geelong. I just said, oh, could you do it yourself? I've got a couple to do over here sort of thing. So eventually that scale, will, it'll be something that is in your race pack and you you do yourself in the hotel. It's it's fairly simple and straightforward. Um, yeah, regarding whether it's a mandatory thing or, or how does that sort of roll out, it's definitely, that's for discussion with the events and how they, you know, keep the, group, the likes of Ironman, how they want to roll that out. Um, in terms of fairness, if you were having, you know, for it to work, you have to be following someone that has it, right? So it kind of has to be either a category or, um some sort of separate start time that have it. And now if you talk to people Ironman and operationally, it's pretty hard for them to split their age group field, say in, in two groups or maybe one third that are competitive and two thirds that are just sort of there to finish. Um, so I, I can kind of see it working where um, it still goes on everyone's bikes. So every athlete has it, um, but we only turn the lights on for those more competitive ones that really want it to work. Um, what we're actually Next, going to build in one of the two things we're focusing on next is um, live tracking. So, what the the devices are already sending amongst themselves to manage the um, the drafting problem, they're actually seeing their ID and their position already. So, we can capture that um, with some roadside stations uh, that have pretty good range, and then feed that data, you know, to a tracking app, you know, like the Ironman Tracker app, and improve that data feed so you get a more realistic and live picture of where an athlete is and where they're, in, where they're coming and that sort of thing. Um, so that, that, that benefit would be there for all those athletes in the race. Once it's on everyone, the lights would still just come on for that more elite group who are maybe trying to qualify for Kona. Um, one of, one of maybe a top 15 in their age group. Maybe there's some other benefits they can get for that, you know, obviously a, a higher entry fee to enter that, that group. Um, maybe they get to have their racks next to the pros. They have a, you know, slightly different colored race number, all these kind of things that make them feel, you know, really special and, and in that elite group. Uh, and they're probably watched closer by the referees as well um, than the other group. So okay. I don't think it's possible to split them on course, but uh, I think it's, yeah, definitely there's some segmentation that could happen. Okay. Yeah. I think that that's for sure probably going to be your biggest decision with the organization is who the hell actually gets them because a lot of people just don't care if there's their first time, they're happy to just chat and they'll take all the penalties and just get done whenever. So there's a yeah. different competition versus participation level. I think that definitely you, you'll run into. Yeah. Um, and you, but at the same time, they wouldn't want to, um, I guess, cheapen the Ironman brand by making it like a grand Fondo type thing where everyone can just draft and yeah. have outside assistance and do what they want. So they've, they've kind of got to balance that, I think as well. Yeah. yeah I, I like the everyone does it approach for sure. And then, you could even put in hardware eventually to capture, you know, ANT power data um, and broadcast that. Like Formula One has billions of data points, and you know you can broadcast that anywhere at any time and see it. I know we've all heard a lot of the broadcast talking about we'll put live data, live speed, heart rate stuff, and no one's been able to do it yet. And do pros want that? I'm not sure, anyways. But I think that that isn't another immersive aspect of what you all could add for data points to make this, the, the sport really kind of fun. Like, Holy crap, look at this much power. Oh, this person's starting to fade 10% in the last 20 K it adds a broadcast aspect, which we haven't been able to kind of take advantage of. So the future is really quite cool. I mean, you've taken, you've taken a big leap and you're doing a 
something pretty noble to try to change a really important aspect of not just drafting, but like data management, athlete awareness in the culture of where we are currently, uh, maybe a more reliable athlete tracker. So kudos for really branching out and doing something really innovative. Thanks, Nick. And there's, um, I guess, another thing we're going to address this year is the motorbikes as well. So, and this is probably more of an issue and more of a probably a market for us in pro cycling. Um, it, you mm. know, obviously there's motorbike effects um, in triathlon, but you see it in, in cycling as well, where you know the breakaways are getting towed away, or or also conversely the the peloton are getting towed back up to breakaways and shutting them down easier than might normally happen. So that's something that we're um, what we what we already have with our our hardware, um, it, you know, is, is capable of of addressing that. We just need to write a slightly different program to change a few things, and then also give the motorbike driver uh, a light indication of some sort on their dashboard. So they would, you know, they'd have a device on the back of their moto, which is looking back at the closest follower, but then it would give them an indication somewhere, you know, where they're already looking, rather than having to kind of gauge the height of a rider in their little wing mirror or you know, get taps on the back from the cameraman saying, can you get a bit closer, you know, taking a bit of shot all day. So yeah. um, make it, taking that out of it as well. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, like once we get on, once we get on everyone's bikes and we're on say, the pro Peloton bikes, there's, there's lots of cool opportunities we can do with um, capturing data and, and sharing it. So, yeah. yeah. Epic. And Jackson, any final thoughts? I think like we're pretty much there. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think. I just can't wait till this thing's on every race and it's going to be, you know, it's, uh, it's the future of where things are. And I'm glad it's been able to keep evolving and actually kind of move forward. And I know it goes slower than it always seems like these startup sort of things are take longer than they should. But by the time it's, you know, fully, uh, immersed in all these races, it's going to be like awesome. So yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Keep pushing. I want to see a thousand units so we can get them at every single freaking <laughs> pro race. And, uh, yeah, whatever you need to make that happen, people, donate. Do it up. <laughs> Thanks. Cool. Well, we'll look forward to seeing Race Ranger um, sponsoring Real Tri Squad real soon. Um, <laughs> Maybe the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's what we're we're gonna roll the dice and see which one happens first. Uh, but yeah, thanks so much. Um, is Dylan still working with you on this? Yeah. So Dylan uh, is my best mate, um, best man at my wedding. Um, he's co-founder and. Yeah, he's got a, a decent shareholding in the business. He's not on a day-to-day -day level uh, sort of driving things forward and making it happen, but he's he's there with me for any sort of big decisions and um, obviously got some good connections with his role at PTO and um, uh, history in the sport. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. Thanks so much for talking about your progress. We'll check in probably in maybe less than a year this time because I'm sure things, <laughs> things are going to happen a lot faster. So we'll love to hear or see, or maybe see some more articles and follow up with how it's going. So thanks so much for coming on, James. We certainly appreciate your work. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks man. Peace. We get a peace out. Peace yeah. out. <laughs> oh, he knows. All right. Ready? Got to give her. Peace. Peace out. Got to work on the Kiwi vision. Flying through the sky in my parachute Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise On a one-man mission trying to see it through